Every Saturday is Catterday on Echoplex Media, and not only are we posting fucking cats, we invite all content creators to join our open panel. Visit echoplexmedia.com slash panel to learn how to join. Every third Saturday is Operation Catterday, where we cover this week and last year and play the best clips from the cast of conspiracy characters that now space has learned to loathe. The show starts at 8 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. I'm defenseless against that kind of female insanity. You fucking leave me alone. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour and the police don't do us. I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I got everything I need I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark No one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant And just as easily flee like my straight white male dad did to me So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors And I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling tons of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree We do the show live every Wednesday at 7pm Pacific Right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia uh, We got some new stuff in the swag shop A brand new local love shirt, check that out That's at uh, eplex.store I'm Producer Dave and you can find me on Grinder. And I am HK Perrin. You can find me on Twitter at HK Perrin, and you can find me in the chat and on my own Twitch channel where I go by Sylphweed. Sylph like the mythical creature and weed like the stuff you smoke. Back in the day, the chemtrailers used to think there were good chemtrails called Sylphs. I'm not kidding. <laughs> that they would eat the bad chemtrails. It was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about. So do you remember the guy? La- How could you forget the guy last week? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mean the guy who believed in demons? Yes, and then he clarified yeah. that they were actual demons, that he wasn't just talking about... Well, hold on here. Just so you don't think I'm crazy, I'm talking about literal demons. <laughs> actual, literal, like, mythical demons. But so, in reality. So... <laughs> I don't know if it's good for everybody or bad for everybody that he's not going to be on a sense-making show. Instead, he's going to be on the Jordan Peterson podcast with uh, Jordan Peterson and Douglas Murray. 
So this week, the <laughs> demons are going to be gay, posh, and very racist. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> this, this will be interesting. Hello, everyone watching and listening. I'm very excited today to bring to you Two of my favorite people, I would say, oh. Douglas Murray and Jonathan Pajot. I wanted to bring the three of us together of his favorite people. to talk about the underlying metaphysical and theological substrate, if any, that constitutes the precondition for classic conservatism, small L liberalism, and maybe enlightenment rationality, as well as, let's say, classic Western religious belief just sort of obviously linked to that underlying metaphysic or maybe the substrate for it. What the I fuck? I got interested in talking to Douglas. I understand all of the words that he's saying, but it, the order that he's putting them in makes them make no sense. I, I just, I'm just saying bring on the demon guy. Bring, back the, bring the demon guy on immediately, <laughs> Jordan. This is, this is painful. Because we've been talking over a couple of years and he's become more convinced, I suppose, or at least curious about the relationship between pure rationality and an ethic that might be associated with pure enlightenment rationality and the relationship between that and an underlying substrate of fiction or narrative or perhaps religious belief. And I couldn't think of anybody better to talk about that with than Jonathan Pajot. I've been speaking. Oh, I, oh man, you know what? Many times. You know what? Fuck it. If you want to make Douglas Murray look reasonable, this might be the only way to do it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> particularly with John Verveke, or at least occasionally with John Verveke, who's a... Oh, he's referring back to the conversation we watched last week. He has to be. <laughs> ...so interested in the same things. And so I thought we'd have a chance today to delve deeply into the bottom of things on the political and conceptual and philosophical front. And so I'll start with a brief bio, both of Mr. Murray and Mr. Pajot, and then I'll ask... Douglas about his comments and his thinking on this front, because I know to some degree his thinking has started to shift and change. So maybe he can outline what he did think and what he now thinks, and then we'll enter into a, uh, a follow-up conversation. Douglas Keir Murray is a British author and political commentator. Mr. Murray is associated... Uh, this is the guy who, who wrote a book about how uh, how he thinks white people are the best right and that they're being replaced yeah yeah specifically uh under the coded terminology of western culture that's correct it was like defending the west or whatever the fuck the name of the book is yeah british political and cultural magazine the spectator and the author of many books including most recently the strange death of europe 2017 the Madness of Crowds, Gender, Race, and Identity, 2019, and The War on the West, 2022. Yeah, Jonathan Pajot is a Canadian religious scholar, podcaster, and fine artist specializing in Christian Orthodox iconography. He was a <laughs> No, he specializes in demons, and you'll never convince me of anything else. <laughs> in a recent Exodus seminar that I hosted in Miami, 
accompanied by a number renowned of renowned demonologists. The first half of which, comprising eight sessions, will be released November 26, 2022. He is also filming a set of introductory commentaries for the forthcoming re-release of my lectures on Genesis. So, well, welcome, Jenny. How do you re-release something that's been on YouTube the whole time? Introduce the both of you. And Douglas, maybe I'll get you to open. I remembered, and I was struck by the comments that you made, I believe, when you were talking to Dave Rubin, about the transformation of your thoughts in relationship to religious conceptualization and your insistence or your realization or your speculation that something like a fictional metaphysic or is a necessary precondition for the stabilization of more rational worldviews, including conservative, liberal, and perhaps scientific. And so hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth. I, I hope I derived the right uh, gist and conclusion from your comments. And so um, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to hear what you have to say about all that. First of all, it's a great pleasure to be Is with he you. saying that religion is a prerequisite for science? He might have been saying that. I don't know. I fucking I tuned him out and I was thinking about soup, to be perfect. I completely disagree. Uh, religion is in no way necessary for science. Right. And, and in fact, the majority of the time, religion gets in the way of science. Well, the majority of the scientists, even, even in the world today, who are making discoveries are religious. So I think it's like sort of... <clears throat> Except for like in the fairly distant past where people who found new, found out new things were literally burnt at the stake or put on house arrest by the, by the church. I think that they're, they can peacefully coexist and that they aren't going to have too much influence on one another, at least like in places like the United States, Canada, and uh, Europe. I mean, you're saying that, but like one of the two major parties in the United States just removed rights from half its population because of religion. That's a different matter than can we make scientific discoveries, but it can be uh, it can be informed by science, though. Sure, and it just makes no sense to call you know a a fertilized human egg a human being, right? But this is we're not doing a show about abortion right now. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, I, I think they conflict. Um, I don't know if there's been a shift in the last few years in my thinking, but certainly in the last 15 years or so, um, there's no doubt about that. Um, I was brought up a Christian, and indeed in adulthood was a believing Christian into my late 20s. As is, I think, sometimes quite common, uh, I fell into atheism, being I became a non-believer. It's because you're gay, dude. This is why like a lot of... like like why atheism is overrepresented in, in gay people, gay culture, not because, because we happen to like men. We're somehow predisposed to not like religion. The cart's going the wrong way there. It's that the, we kind of saw like what religion had in store for us, what they kind of, what the religions of the day were saying about us and the way they wanted to influence governments against us. So that's probably why you became an atheist. My friend was identity politics, but he, you know, these people are immune to identity politics. So <laughs> I, my He's about my age, I think. 20s. And uh, there were lots of reasons for that we could get into. But um, I was very much uh, a sort of part of that, a minor part of that new atheism movement in the 2000s. No, no, I never heard of you until the IDW, until like some of those people became racist and were like, oh, remember that British guy, that British racist guy? I actually like him. Let's bring him on over here. <laughs> I think he means such a minor part that no one ever heard of him. Oh, me too. Uh, 
I suppose I <laughs> had a period in which I thought um, that that was enough. Uh, and through the years that followed that, I suppose I had some of the zeal of the convert, as it were, that can happen with atheists as much as it can happen with the religious. Um, with the zeal of the convert, once that sort of fell away a bit, uh, I was left with the same questions that, that, that I was before, with perhaps a less dogmatic tone. Um, and I suppose one of the things that, that was on my mind increasingly in the 2010s was um, that question of what's often been, it's, many people are credited with the thought, but uh, the, the German jurist uh, Bochenforder, Ernst Wolfgang Bochenforder is usually... Get to the fucking point, Doug. ...done it most epigrammatically, which is to pose the question, uh, uh, can a society... Uh, the, d d um, continue to survive in its form if it has cut itself off from the things that gave it birth. In other words, the answer would be yes. Yeah, I think um, pretty clearly the answer is yes. I think That's, the, in, in general, I, I would say, I would propose the other question. Can a society survive if it never cuts itself off from the things that caused it to arise you know i bet it's like um i bet it's it's one of those like like so many other things it's gonna be a little column a a little column b like if a society never progresses will it survive i would say almost surely no but the problem with this is that it's a it's a it's a again it's dealing it's a dealing in an absolute where what happens with a society is it keeps some of the shit and it forgets some of the shit that's what a society does i don't know what to tell you it's like when you move right yep. You keep some of your shit, you, you throw some of your shit away, maybe you accidentally leave a bunch of crap in a drawer, and your property management overcharges you for the removal of it, and then you go buy, buy some new shit. That's like how society works. It's like, we, it's <laughs> and, like moving. And very much in that sense, if you keep all your shit, eventually you're going to have issues, just like if you get rid of all your shit, you're going to have issues. Right. Unless you can keep buying a bigger house, or if you get rid of all your stuff, you just have like a massive influx of money. <laughs> oh. if you like western societies if you like societies like uh, britain america and elsewhere um you, there are several directions you can go in one is to pretend that these societies owe nothing to christianity or the judeo but they don't which is is um something that is attempted uh, as a claim didn't christianity like oftentimes hold them back they probably propelled th certain things forward and held other things back and other certain people would call certain either one of those progress but what do you mean oh to christianity what does he mean what are we supposed to just go to the church and say thanks like what the fuck what do you mean do we like you know what i'm saying like the problem here is that is that what he's saying doesn't matter right are we like literally do we go to church and say thanks <laughs> yeah i don't know uh but there is a reason that we called them the dark ages like Christianity or maybe not Christianity itself, but the church at the time held back progress. Well, that's y Europe, the other, other areas of the other areas. Isn't of the that world. what he's talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but other, I mean, that's, it's just what he, I want to, I want to stay like kind of focused here. What, like, what do you think he means when he tells us that we are ungrateful to Christianity, because that's kind of what he just said. Like, because I, I don't what, know what that means. I think what he means is, 
he should be allowed to to force his religious views on us because he's an atheist. If it weren't for his religious views, he's an atheist. Okay, good point. Uh, the church should be allowed to force its religious views on us. You know, because a lot of those are tied to conservatism. You know, conservatism is informed by religion and it's religious people who drive conservative movements in in the US and Europe. So I feel like I feel like maybe we're talking past each other a little bit here. So I'll, I'll tie it up. When he says Judeo-Christian and he says, what do we owe to the Christians and like the, he just means white people. I'm going to tie that up. He's like using like religious, like religious, what, he, what we would call Judeo-Christian values. He's using it as a stand-in for fucking white Europeans. I think that's what he's doing. And that's why, that's why okay. this religion, that's why this version of religiosity can be useful to him is because his his he's demonstrated to us time and again that his worldview is that of white supremacy yeah so i think for for him this is just a stand-in for like the time like especially in america the time when everybody loved god and everybody had a picket fence and everybody on tv was white you know what i'm saying it's like a stand-in for like the version of the 50s that never actually happened that these people all think happened yeah uh, obviously risible um, once you accept that, that the Christian tradition at least gave a very significant amount at least was an incredibly important strand of our societies and what we treasure and cherish in our societies today we would not treasure or cherish if we didn't have that inheritance once you accept that then there's this question of is that society you have able to sustain itself are the things you love able to sustain themselves and be replenished without reference to the thing that gave them birth? Um, put it in without reference. See, like this is this is such a weird. He's just like this is such a like. I don't. I'm having a hard time figuring. And he, it's probably on purpose, right? I'm having a hard time figuring out what he's saying. Is he saying that we should be studying history books, or is he saying? I think he would say we shouldn't do that, right? <laughs> I think these things are full of CRT, um, <laughs> but like it's this appeal to tradition but it's like this he won't just say like like traditional white america or traditional posh white brit britain right so he's trying to like it seems to me that he's trying to attach that to religiosity hmm way uh, let's say we're sitting on a branch uh, does the branch remain up if the roots of the tree are not nurtured and well, not for it doesn't fall immediately, but that's the, the tree's dying. Like, what the fuck? That putting, I would argue that that is a terrible analogy because societies aren't trees, right? And the I don't even know what the root of society is. He's saying basically that it's just like white Christianity. I think that's what he's like proposing here. Look at how proud he is of that analogy, too. I know. That, no, that's just his face. He just always looks like that. <laughs> when, you, when, when you're this posh, you always look that pleased with yourself. Makes the answer rather <laughs> obvious, which is, um, well, obviously not. I mean, if you use the branch of the tree analogy, obviously <laughs> that doesn't work. That's like. Let me just cool. use an analogy that I know will make what I said right. <laughs> yeah, one that does not apply realistically. Or even if it even if it could apply, he's just he's like, look, I've picked an analogy that says I'm right. Look how look at look at how pleased I am. Get the fuck out of here. Like, 
if if we're going to use that analogy, then uh, should we water society? Should well, it, we trim society? Right. The, the, this analogy only works if it stops raining, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> he would be into like trimming society. Tr- HK, he'd be, tree- HK, HK, he'd be into trimming society. Absolutely. He's a big, uh, big eugenicist type. Yeah, that's true. Uh, a lot of times a tree needs to be corrected, you know? A tree's not growing correctly, and you know it's going to kill itself if it keeps growing that way. I addressed this a bit in the book you referred to there, um, Jordan, The Strange Death of Europe. There are a number of chapters I I use in that book, which is about movement of peoples in the 21st century, the ease of movement, migration, and many other difficult questions. But the part of the book which, uh, at least... um, I think is is the most significant, if I say to myself, is is the portion on what I describe as a state of of, of Western man's belief in the 21st century. What do you mean our belief in the 21st century is just fucking here, dude? What do you mean belief in the 21st century? I mean, I guess like if you're like a if you're like a if you're like a like a calendar truther, okay. (laughs) What the fuck? That we, that, that, that history has happened, discoveries have happened, biblical criticism has happened, Darwin has happened, science has happened, discoveries have happened, the, the, uh, um, the, 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 the way in which we used to explain things we didn't know by putting God in there has increasingly been narrowed so that increasingly we know through science and discoveries how are certain things in our universe happens, how certain things in our bodies happen, and, and the role of God diminishes and diminished. But that, as I explained in The Strange Death of Europe, that we, we, we are in this, and I myself am in this uncomfortable position because of... Well, get a better chair. You have a lot of money. If you believe that what you, and recognize that what so, you like, What is this camera angle? To sustain is, in, is a very significant part from this I think he's sitting route. in a, um, a strange chair that's... Uh, various yeah. theologians, albeit perhaps heretical theologians um, uh, like Don Cupid and Richard Holloway have also asked this question, but it, it's, a, it's a difficult and I admit frustrating uh, position to be in, the one that I hold, because um, in part, and I think uh, Jordan, you yourself have experienced this, in part it's frustrating because Christians say, well, therefore, why don't you just believe and and that's not actually that's what i would say as a non-christian if you're saying all this positive shit about religiosity i'd be like why don't you just go be christian then sounds like you like it (laughs) yeah um i think you're on to something though he's using christianity as a as a stand-in for what he really means yeah and it's i mean i don't even know if he knows that's what he's doing do you know what i'm saying i don't think he's doing it on purpose like i don't think I don't think these people, but the, the thing is, I don't think these people are as smart as they're trying to make you think they are, right? I think these are just regular <laughs> ass people who are pr- maybe fairly well-spoken, maybe not even so much well-spoken, just good at talking forever. And so yes. that's what people think smart is. And so I don't know if he even knows that he's doing it, but it seems to me that when he ta- when he's talking about Christianity here. He's definitely talking about. He ain't talking about no black church where they can where they got where they can clap on the three and the or the two and the the two and the four. You know what I'm saying? Talking about the white church where they can barely clap on the first and the third one. (laughs) (laughs) 
awkward as those Christians seem to think. They seem to think, well, we've got you in a corner by re you recognizing what you owe to the religion. Is he having so a debate we'll with a Christian who isn't there right now in his own head? Big government yes, continues to spend... Uh, nope, 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 nope. We'll no, no ad. Your free info kit. No. Yeah, well, the question then becomes, what what is that Text lead? Jordan to 1-800-GO-FUCK-YOURSELF. So you proposition here, and, and you tell me what you think about this, and then maybe Jonathan can chime in. So... You know that Does Jonathan Peugeot think this is a date too? Did you see him fucking slickly move a little closer to Jordan there? <laughs> you think he's gonna reach his arm around? Oh, I, <laughs> I'm fucking like eighty percent sure he's gonna he's gonna do he's gonna do the yawn at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> Between the atheist rationalist materialists, let's say, and the religious types, if it's played out on the battleground set by the atheist materialists is a battle between the claims that the scientific mode of explanation and the religious mode of explanation are alike in kind, but different in conclusion. And so that you have a description of the world where God's a causal agent, and you have a description of the world where natural processes are causal agents, and the scientists tend to win that battle. But then I think, well, there's a yeah. problem with that because it isn't obvious to me at all that the way that God is conceptualized in the Judeo-Christian tradition and maybe more universally is as a, a, like a, 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 an analog of a material cause. If I look through the biblical canon and the way that <laughs> oh, God no. is characterized. Oh, no. As a character, oh, no. It's, it's fucking the crazy's already ramping up and we haven't even heard from the demon guy yet. Like Jordan Peterson, like he's like, Oh, well, the people, the rationalists, the people or the materialists or whatever, like, you know, we would be called generally you and I are materialists. That doesn't mean we like a coach bag. That means we like believe in the material world and we think we can't really prove anything outside of the material world. He's like, well, the materialists yeah, like empiricists, maybe the materialists want to have or the, the rationalists, as he probably called them, want to have a, uh, a discussion on their terms where, um, things that I have to like be able to show them why I believe what I believe in. He's like, we can't really have a discussion on those terms because I believe some wild shit that nobody's ever going to believe and that I can't demonstrate. So it's unfair that we have to have it on the terms of the rationalists. Let me tell you about my all beef diet. <laughs> He's basically saying it's not fair. I shouldn't have to provide evidence for God because there is no evidence for God. So how can I provide that? Right. And it's so crazy because like, there's so many religious people that are fans of this show where there's like two super fans of the intellectual dollar tree now that are religious and they're not coming in here trying to prove God to anybody. They don't <laughs> give a shit that we don't believe in God and don't go to church and shit. Like most people just don't care. And, and people are being driven away from religion, but it's not because of what's written in the Bible. It's because of what their religious neighbors have been doing. Like what they, when they see, like, like when they hear the fundamentalist Christian, that means the person who believes the most, they're doing the craziest shit. And then now somebody's like, well, if that's the fundamentals of it, I don't want nothing to do with it. And I would say of, yes, but it it is a very effective way of turning a Christian atheist to just have them read the Bible. Like cover to cover, just read all of the Bible and chances are you'll become an atheist. I think that's like some 2009 YouTube atheist mythology. I'm not sure there's any evidence for that. I think people can read the Bible and just take what they want from it. It's like a fucking, it's like a buffet.
you know, just because you don't like the uh, egg salad doesn't mean yes, you don't go to the buffet. The vast majority of people have not read the Bible. Sure. Like the vast majority of Christians have not read the Bible. Sure. I'd say probably the number of Christians that have read the Bible is like around 1%. That's, I'm just, I don't make these, I, you can go ahead and make, make these <laughs> sorts of was, estimations. If it was higher than that, I would be surprised. Let's say it in some sense as a fictional character, and, and I'll return to that idea. His, 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 uh, his essence is something more like role model and spirit to emulate. It's a, it's a, it's something like a mode of being. It's, it's an enacted mm. mode of being in the world rather than a, uh, than, than, than a pure causal agent. And the problem what the with the scientific endeavor is that, but this guy, this guy sitting next to you last time we were watching last week it was on the podcast feed, you can check it out. It was the bonus. He said that demons are like pure causal agents. Yes, he did. Uh, I believe he said they were physical causal agents. I don't know if he said they were physical or not, but he did say that they were real and they, they caused things to happen. So him and Jordan could have a really great debate here, but they're not going to <laughs> because this guy's not listening. Jordan's just talking to talk. As Hume so famously pointed out, there's a huge gap between is and ought. And what I see offered on the religious front is an answer to the question of ought. And then I'll add one more thing to that. So this is how you ought to behave, but not only to behave, but how you ought to perceive, how you ought to, ought to make a hierarchy of your attentional resources so that you're looking at the right thing and acting in the right way toward the proper goals all the time. How do you orient yourself to do that? And so... Yeah, but like the obvious question there is the why? And like I if think someone says like you ought to... Uh, I don't know, obey authority. Like the question is why, why ought I ob obey authority? My question would be, why should I obey that particular authority? Yeah. Like whatever, whatever someone says, you ought to do this. Like if they don't have a good reason behind it, then why should you? First of if all, they the can't tell you why you should respond to that because there's no way that they can produce an ethic on the fly in some sense and that was hume's right objection and uh and it also thinking about the problem this way see it also opens the door to a deeper understanding of the role that fiction and mythology play because you can think of fiction including mythology as a form of abstraction that characterizes patterns of behavior and action typing rather than a form of abstraction that describes Conducting. the world the way science does and that way fiction becomes a different kind mm -hmm. of truth he's conducting he's conducting an orchestra of incels Dramatic truth rather than a descriptive <laughs> or propositional truth and it's oriented towards ethics and the direction of attention and so i'm increasingly thinking about the heavenly hierarchy as a internal in some sense psychological structure through which we see the world. And, and I'll add one more thing to that and turn it over to Jonathan. Oh, good. The other thing that strikes me as psychologically uh, unassailable is the fact that you need a uniting principle to orient your perceptions and actions toward for two reasons, two fundamental reasons, three fundamental reasons. One is, if you're aiming towards something valuable, that gives you positive emotion and hope. 
And so all the motivation that goes along with that fills you with enthusiasm. Second, if you don't have a uniting ethic that governs your own perceptions and actions, then you're confused and in disarray. And the the cost of that is anxiety and hopelessness and pain and frustration and disappointment and grief, all of the negative emotions. And then third, if you don't have a uniting ethic, and so that has to be united under something like a monotheistic superordinate entity, if you don't have, oh. that, you have social disarray, because hard disagree right that there unites people in their common ethical pursuit, and that's their behavior and their perceptions. And so, I'll let Jonathan comment on that. A bit. Yeah, before Jonathan comments um, on that, I, before Jonathan comments on that, I'd like to talk about that. People do unite under certain kinds of ethics or moralities or, or like idea sets, but it's it's more distributed than what he's talking about. He's talking about a, like a fucking religious monarchy or some shit. <laughs> Well, he's talking about biblical morality. And then it's like, okay, well, like what parts of the Bible would you like to enforce? Well, some people stone children to death if they talk back to their parents. Right. Some, but some people do unite around morality that they find from religion and they don't want to stone children to death. They just happen to go to the Uh, same church. Like, but most people in the U S are pretty easily already united under the laws of the United States, right? Sure. So like, why does it have to, like he, he said it, it has to come from a monotheistic deity. Like why? Well, laws don't. Well, and not for nothing. Like he has relationships in his life where their shared ethic, their shared morality and their shared, like vision of the world or whatever has nothing to do with religion. So I don't know who that person is. I couldn't tell you about it, but there's no way he doesn't. Yeah. So it's, he's, he's talking about it. Like it's a, like it's like, it's a, like it's cathedral, but it's a bizarre. <laughs> if no, I think what you're saying is right on track. That is one of the problems that happened in the story of Christianity is something like, the Enlightenment and modernism, which is that as the world was moving towards this notion of mechanical causation and the interest in mechanical causation, there were there be, came to be a misunderstanding of the way that traditional Christians believed the world actually existed. And so there's a difference between the material causes and something like the vertical cause of something. And the vertical cause of something is exactly this hierarchy that Jordan is talking about. And I would push what Jordan is saying even further. That is, it does actually affect, to a certain extent, even the is, because we can't perceive an is without a hierarchy of attention and without a hierarchy of perception, because the world is indefinite in detail and in quantity. And so for even to be able to say this, to point to something, to say that, is already in this hierarchy of something we could well it's in the hierarchy of the room you're in and what the fuck was in the room when you got there that's what that that's how you can point (laughs) to the glass this is that's the dumbest thing i've ever right oh you can only really point to that camera well no fucking shit it's the only one that was pointed at me when i sat down like there's nothing (laughs) mystical or magical about that it's like the law of what the fuck is in the room with you I think most people are are pretty okay with like essentially does he mean like the law of identity? Like things are what they are and they aren't what they aren't. Maybe. I think most people are okay with that. 
I I'm okay with the law of the things that were in the room when I got here were in the room when I got here. I'm I'm just okay with that. <laughs> Vertical causation. So this glass has millions and millions of aspects to it, but we nonetheless are able to see it as one. And the fact that we see it as one is a total mystery. By aspects, did he mean atoms? He's about to say that it's a total mystery how we figured out this is a glass. I'm not kidding. You hold on. Millions and millions of aspects to it, but we nonetheless are able to see it as one. And the fact that we see it as one is a total mystery to scientists. They don't know how to account for it. Wait, what? The <laughs> what? Listen, I'm not going to get into why we can see the glass, but I feel like that's pretty well established, right? I feel like we don't have to like give people a crash course on why the fuck you can see a glass. Like we well, know he, the he means why I, I think he means like, okay. So by aspects, did he mean atoms? First no. of all, because I would kind of understand what he means if that's what he meant, but also there's like trillions of atoms in that glass, not just millions. Well, isn't trillions uh, just another extra isn't trillions. All like trillions is also dozens <laughs> hk <laughs> technically correct uh but uh also like we know why the glass is one thing it's because it's a solid object right I, like i said please don't we're not getting into like why we perceive it as as a solid object but the, everybody knows the answer to that this is like but like is he confused about that does he think that scientists don't understand solidity i think he is doing a, a really bad job of what alex from the q origins project called academic window dressing it's just that he's this window looks like shit <laughs> it's he's just trying to seem smart it's all it is it's like a performance of the appearance of intellect but like what the fuck does he even like I really do want to know what's going through his brain right now when he says like scientists don't understand how this glass is one thing. Like what do you even mean by that? I think he's thinking to himself got to look smart, 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 got to look smart. Gotta look smart gotta... <laughs> That's my guess. You might not be wrong. <laughs> got to look smart, got to look smart, got to look smart. Ooh, when can I, when can I, when can I sneak in and move a little closer to Jordan? Gotta look smart, gotta look smart, gotta look smart. This guy thinks everything's like a date. And you could just use the word magic and it would be the same. It's like no. jump into unity. That is the type of causation that we talk about when we talk about religious causation. Well, that, that unity that you discuss in relationship to the glass is a pragmatic unity because it's a so, unity of good. It's well, that's also purpose. unity. No, it's a unity of the glass was manufactured somewhere. You dumb fuck. You just said it was a, a it's a unity of purpose. He said a, a unity of good and unity of purpose. Right. But like, does he think that the glass is natural? And if he, like there are natural things that can hold about a glass worth of water. But the glass is not one of them. The glass was made by a human to do that job. Right. It was manufactured. Yeah. So also not, he said it's good too, but not for nothing. If you like break a glass and then leave it on the floor and then leave the lights off and then somebody walks into the kitchen barefoot, doesn't turn the lights on, doesn't notice the glass. They're not going to think the glass is very good. 
<laughs> so the glass actually doesn't have any like ethical it's good right now because there's water in it and you can drink the water out of it but there are ways ways in which it could be quite bad like if it fell out of an airplane and landed on your head so the <laughs> yeah. glass is just an object it was fucking manufactured yeah, like you could say the glass is useful, but I think calling the glass good makes no sense. He's gonna pat it on the head. Oh, good glass. <laughs> good glass. <laughs> you name the thing. I have to take the glass with me, Jordan. We've bonded. Well, then you think, well, it's an ethical in, in a general, a, very general sense. It's an ethical unity because it is an ethical unity. Well, I would say in this. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. If you, were, it, it's an unethical unity if if it's holding in cyanide. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to completely disagree that there's any sort of ethical qualities to the glass it's just a fucking glass it's not even a, that nice of a glass if we're gonna talk if we're gonna be real like yeah. it's not even like a chalice or anything you were a full just like everyday drinkware that's fine you can spend a month painting all the reflections on that glass yeah. it's a very complex thing to perceive well, no if you paint the glass there it doesn't unless you paint it with reflective paint no Oh, does he mean like? Well, he means he means if you're painting a, a a portrait of the glass, is it a portrait? Can you take? Can I you mean, paint a portrait of a glass? Sir, the glass's name is Frederick, and it's it's fucking Jonathan <laughs> Peugeot's best friend, and he's good. He's a good good glass. <laughs> yeah, but the, he's but yeah, about- like you could also just take a picture of it, and then like you get essentially the same result, and it takes like a fraction of a second. So, like, the fact that it takes a while to paint a glass doesn't mean that the glass is good. And also, he's talking about, like, a specific kind of painting, which is, like, photorealistic painting of a glass, right? Yeah. There are other kinds of painting where you could convey that this is just, like, a really basic glass that you get in the kitchenware department at Target, but it wouldn't have to be photorealistic, right? You could do, like, like watercolor, where it's just like, oh, that's just a glass on a table right yeah or i bet you i could draw a glass in like 10 seconds that you would be able to recognize is a glass i was just i like the idea better of him like painting over the glass to try to make the reflections in the room but with paint (laughs) on the glass (laughs) because that's i feel like there's something in what i just said that has it's it's like it's like it's this it's it's the painting version of isn't it nice we're having this conversation it's just, isn't there isn't it nice that there's these <laughs> reflections on this glass that i'm painting over with more reflections on the glass <laughs> also like it, it it takes a while to to paint a pile of steaming cow shit does that mean the pile of steaming cow shit is good it has some sort of like intrinsic moral goodness to it to be fair, unless you put it in like a like a climate controlled room, it won't be steaming for that long. So you got to paint kind of fast. <laughs> perceive it. As I would not want to be in a room that's climate controlled for the purpose of keeping a pile of shit steaming. You can grip it, and because you can raise it to your lips, and because you can drink it, and because you need to drink water to survive, and you are willing to drink water to survive because you believe emotionally and motivationally and perhaps rationally that survival is a good, and that's dependent on your belief that human existence in some sense is a good, and that it's striving towards some sort of higher unified order. And so you anything think, well, you, you can drink water out of is good? I don't... I'm having a hard time with this. This is... I didn't think... <clears throat> I didn't... I, I don't even know what I was going to say. I was going to say I didn't think it was going to be this stupid, but like, how fucking naive would I be if I was like, 
if I was like, there's just a certain amount of stupid that this conversation could possibly be, and it won't go beyond that. Like, how fucking naive would I be if I really believed that? <laughs> um, I want to know, does he mean the fact that you can drink water out of it means the glass is good? Or is it the fact that the glass was made in order to drink water out of it? Because you could also drink poison out of it. I said before, it could contain cyanide. Yeah. Then is it good or is it bad? Does the glass now become bad once it has poison in it? What if that poison is only poisonous to like you, but it's not poisonous to your neighbor? Like the, the conundrum here, the conundrum you, here, con good to your neighbor? the conundrum happens is, is there apple cider in the fucking glass? Because then the people on this show would have a very, to one person, it would be poison. And then he'd have to talk to Sam Harris and have the worst day of his life. And to the other people, it would just be apple cider. Yeah. So it sounds like they're arguing that morality, or at least the, intris the intrinsic goodness of drinkware, is relative. Well, no, that's what we're arguing. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I think they're trying to like make friends with the glass on the table. And the answer is, yeah, as a matter of fact, you need all of that to proceed. He did describe putting his lips to it. If the it posh might be British, more than a friendship. If the, if the posh British gay guy jumps in and goes, I don't know what you two old queens are talking about. It would be hilarious. But he's not going to do it. <laughs> because of various forms. The other two aren't even gay. It would just be funny as fuck if you he said that. You enter into the realm of all sorts of bizarre blindnesses. And so, and so that point you make about the is being dependent on the ought is also extremely interesting because... If the world is infinitely complex, which seems to be the case, or close enough, the the no, hierarchy does not of seem to be the case. To bear on it, and so your intent determines, in no small part, the array of manifestations that that infinity will produce in your field of apprehension. Wait, and what that does determine, to some degree, at least Hold produce on. in your no small part the array of manifestations that that infinity will produce in your field of apprehension, and that in your field of app. Okay. So an infinity is going to produce fucking everything because that's what the fuck infinity is. Okay. It's going to produce just everything. <laughs> and then in the array of your apprehension, I fucking, I don't know what that means. I just know that the infinity will produce everything. Uh, the, the field of apprehension is a new quantum field that, that Jordan Peterson discovered. And it's what it's what drives Jordan Peterson's insanity does determine to some degree at least what adds elements of the object you have access to yeah. and then manipulate and then bring into being. I, I've been thinking about objects too as this... <laughs> I, mean, I think about objects all the time. <laughs> ...surrounded by a field of possibility, right? And so the object isn't just what is it, it is. is it's also about? a set of things that it could become. Yeah. Well, no, it, it probably did come in a set, right? You probably didn't buy each of these individually. <laughs> it, became, it was a set before, and then you separated them out and put them on the table. All right, they probably came in like six. I think glasses sometimes come in ten. They so come, in they, they come in, in a box in that the, says like that says like says like Fabergé or something or like I don't know fucking <laughs> Tiffany if you're fancy and and then otherwise it just says Target on the box if you're just buying glasses and so they were part of a set and now they're uh, not in the set anymore because you had to take them out of the box to use them. In the. Uh in the set of thing, all things that, that that glass could become, technically, a dildo is one of them. You know, you could use the glass as a dildo. No, just stop. Just stop. Oh, God. <laughs> so, 
Well, then Jordan the glass Peterson is bad. likes to think about all the possibilities of what everything could be used for. Then the glass <laughs> is bad. All right. <laughs> bad glass. I did not. I did not consent to that. With varying degrees of difficulty, depending on your intent. So yeah. it's a combination of being and becoming. Could become a weapon, mm. but it couldn't become a car. Right, right. So, so it, no, it can very easily. saying it can become a car? Right, but I, he's, he was right on the first one. It can become a weapon. If I was sitting there, if I was like a third person in this room and I had one, I would already be seriously considering using the glass as a weapon. <laughs> Possibly against myself, I don't know. Maybe just to just to throw it at the window to get out the window because these people would probably lock the doors using some fucking like key fob shit so that you can't leave their weird ass conversation. <laughs> um, I want to know what the fuck world this dude is living in where a glass can become a car. So I really hope he meant like a model car, like you could melt it down and then form it into a model car. Because if he meant an actual car, this dude is fucking insane. It has an identity, but it's also surrounded by a field of possibilities. That's a good way to right, talk right, about it. Right, right, right. Wait, what? I the, 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 the point is <laughs> Why that... Why go back to Douglas Murray and he's asleep? <laughs> he's like, this is not racist <laughs> enough. I can't do this with you. When we look at the way that the creation of the world is described in Genesis, it's, it's related to exactly to that. God creates something, sees it, and sees that it's good. And so there's this notion of apprehension of identities and realizing that those identities have to do with their, the fact that they're bound up in a value judgment, even though it's not necessarily moral. It's just a value judgment. Um, he didn't say that everything was good. In fact, like he never said a glass was good. So this guy's just assuming that God would say that this glass is good, when in reality, God might really fucking hate glasses. God might be like, you didn't give me a chalice. Like, where is my yeah. fucking pimp cup? I am the creator of the universe. Like, God might say, like, look, I gave you trees to carve cups out of. And you melt my sand into a glass. Fuck you. Go to hell. I see a glass. I am always asking, is it a good glass? Even if I don't do it consciously, necessarily. We know. I, have to, I, I know that it's there to grip and to drink from. If Wait, I'm what? At a, like, he's a, always asking if it's a good glass. If I'm at a bar and I'm paying like $14 for the drink, I might be wondering, is that a good drink? But that's really independent of the kind of glass it's in. Yeah. The only time I wonder if a glass is not good is if I see a bartender use the glass to pick up ice. Or you might be like, that glass appears to have a giant crack in it. It's no good anymore. And you throw it away. Like if. If you ever see that, just so you know, if you ever see a bartender use a glass to pick up ice out of a bin, do not drink from that glass. The same that is how you chip like, glass into a bin of ice and then serve people glass shards. They have to focus their attention on something because they can't study everything at once. They have to decide, I'm going to but study that's not, this. And I'm that doesn't decide, mean the glass is bad. That means the bartender's the bad. The reason why I study that, and therefore I'm going to be able to identify the facts that fit with my theory and prove my theory. So even the scientist is moving is moving in the, this type of perception of the world, even sometimes without realizing well, we it. Could, I'd like to make a comment on the scientific front, too, and I really started to think about this. So he's actually wrong. The, the way science works is you try, and, you try and disprove your theory, and if you can't disprove it, then you go from there. You, you know, at... 
if it is disprovable and you can't disprove it, you assume it's true. To Dr. Dawkins, and I suppose to some degree to Sam Harris too on the atheist front. And so, dude, the conversations between him and the conversation between him and Richard Dawkins was gold. I don't even like Richard Dawkins, but a couple times he said, Richard Dawkins says to him, I think you're just saying words. <laughs> uh, I know that as the death of God in the Nietzschean terms has progressed, we've lost faith in an increasing range of uh, underlying realities. And the first might be the deistic reality. But then what we've seen happening under the onslaught of postmodernist thought like, yeah, I agree with that, and I don't think that's a bad thing. And then I was thinking, well, what's the precondition for being a scientist? And I thought, well, in some sense, there it's is deistic none. Pre, there's deistic preconditions, because what? one of the things that characterizes scientists, and this includes people like Dawkins, who's a real scientist, is that the scientist presumes axiomatically that there's a transcendent realm outside the domain of epistemological theory. So if you have a scientific theory and you're a real scientist, you know that your theory, which is really what you see when you look at the world, you, you know that your theory is insufficient in comparison to the reality that transcends it. And so then as a scientist, what you try to I do- I don't think that's true. I mean, yes, you do if the evidence doesn't perfectly match it, but if the evidence perfectly matches it, then you don't know that. I just, like all the evidence perfectly matches that the earth goes around the sun. So no one, well, I mean, not no one, but scientists don't consider that 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 isn't going to match up with reality. Right. But my thing, the thing that the thing that I kind of want to talk about here is the way he talks about science and scientists. It's always one guy. It's the great man theory of science. This is how he always talks about science. He doesn't he's not talking about it as as an endeavor. He's talking about it as like. Oh, a scientist does X and it's, that's not how we do any of it. It's been a very long time since it was like one dude. Everything is like yeah. teams of people and those people are all questioning each, each other and trying to hone their methods and make sure and try to either make sure that they're doing things right or point out when they're doing things wrong. It's not this thing that he's like, Oh, the scientist has their theory. Very few scientists end up with something that is a theory. Many scientists have many hypotheses. I think he means... Does he mean like one scientist's personal theory or does he mean like theories like evolution? That's the thing is it sounds like he... he, it's, It's either the first one or he's conflating the two. I think he's conflating the two. But like... This is the way he always talks about it. He brings up people he knows and goes, that's a real scientist. Well, Richard Dawkins isn't doing any science right now. <laughs> He's retired. <laughs> Sam Harris isn't doing no science right now. He may never have really done much. He's a talk show host. So like people that are scientists are people that are Jordan Peterson doesn't know because they're working in a fucking lab somewhere on some project or they're gathering information about other people's lab work for peer review or that they're doing the work that's what science is is the work it's not like one man's theory that's like a movie and shit right yeah like a movie about an inventor is what he thinks science is yeah but i mean it's not surprising to me that he has no clue what like the actual process of science is 
I mean, what he's talking about makes no sense. Like, you have to assume that God exists for you to have a theory? Like, is that where he's going with this? Like, yes, you, you do have to assume that there is a reality to have a theory, but that doesn't mean there has to be a God. And right, he's just, he's sort of suggesting that uh, people accepting that there's a reality basically outside of the things that we personally have observed is the same as religion. I think that's yeah. what he's suggesting here. That's stupid because you obs everybody observes new shit all the time. Ever been to a new state? Well, now, is that just because you like Oklahoma's there? Like, and you've never been there and now you've been to Oklahoma? You're like, shit, that must be God. Like, what the fuck? Also, you can just like ask someone like, hey, do you also see that thing over there? Yes. Okay. We're going to both assume that that's real then. I've had a few of those experiences on um, psychedelics. <laughs> Transcendent reality so that it fails. So that you find something about what you don't understand that is able to make itself manifest. Then you adjust the theory to get a better grip on the world. And you assume while you're doing that, that there's an underlying logic to the transcendent object and that analysis of that underlying object is both corrective and redemptive. And as far as I can tell, those are all essentially axiomatic religious claims and that and that they're preconditions for any true empirical science. And then, so what that implies is yep, that you're right. if we lose He's saying that's, the, that's the same thing as religion. We might lose the entire scientific endeavor. Um, let me just uh, briefly, uh, if, if I may, take us away from the glass of water, uh, because I only have <laughs> Jonathan Pajot's word that it is a glass of water. And no, I, you could fuck, I don't know, do you not have a camera? Do they not have a, do they not use Video Ninja? Uh, I I'm pretty sure they're they he can see it. Uh he's just trying to be philosophical saying maybe there's a there's some outside force that's distorting my vision. Yeah, it's this is ridiculous. To that. This conversation's uh, about to get even more dumb. Um, let me Oh shit, look, did you see? Wow. They were real close. <laughs> and I don't want to get into fucking, that. fucking Casanova. <laughs> Um, let, let me address what I think He's is one step is away a, from the reach. A, a necessary thing <laughs> to begin with, which is the, the issue of the magisteria. We are talking about them separately, but of course the interrelation of them. The, whether or not the realms of science and religion are overlapping magisteria or not. And of course, some people would claim that they're absolutely unrelated. Uh, we're getting towards, I think, in this discussion, the realization that, of course, they're overlapping to some degree. Uh, I would agree they're overlapping insofar as, like, many religious people are great scientists. But that's, that's the only way in which they overlap. Otherwise, like, they're in, they're, they don't overlap. They only overlap on, like, a societal level where people who go to church also go to the lab. Yep. Uh, and that's yeah. fine. In, in terms of, like... Yes, they're both things in that way they overlap. And yes, they're both like making an attempt to understand the universe. But that's about we don't it. Know exactly how much. Jonathan probably thinks very significantly. I suspect Jordan thinks to some extent, and I would say to some extent as well. But let me throw out then two issues that I would put as a challenge, both for the religious and the non-religious in the discussion that we're heading towards. The, the, the first is a challenge for the non-religious, and that's to do with something that Jordan's already talked about, which is the area of ethics and shared values and, and, and much more. Uh, 
a, a great challenge for the non-believers in our age is, is that issue of where the values come from. And, uh, and as Jordan's already suggested, Not really. uh, for instance, the Enlightenment, the idea of rationalism, soul rationalism, which not all Enlightenment thinkers were, were dealing with, but many were. The idea of rationalism being the sole way in which to discern ethics seems to me not to have been embedded very wide or very deep and may suggest that it's just not possible as a project. So, uh, to, to, to uh, quote my late friend Rabbi Jonathan Sachs on this, the idea that, that ethics are self-evident is self-evidently wrong. Um, I mean, so it, it's, okay, that. it's, if you believe in evolution, it makes perfect sense why morality would evolve. Like, especially in a, in a, in a species like humans, where we are highly social and also highly tribal, like, it's, it makes perfect sense why and how morality would evolve and we can see exactly like if you take animals from like it is a very wrong thing to say from our evolutionary past because everything that is extant today is not in our lineage but if you take the species that are more closely uh similar to like the things that we evolved from uh, that took a different evolutionary path, you can see, you know, we both have a certain mor moralistic trait. Therefore, it's safe to assume that our closest ancestor, our closest common ancestor, also had that moralistic trait. You know, chimpanzees understand the concept of property ownership to a certain extent. You know, if one chimpanzee steals like a, a toy or a tool or something from another chimpanzee, they understand what happened. And to that extent, like we can assume that the, the, our last common ancestor with chimpanzees also had that trait. And you can do the same thing with a number of different species. And there are other species that are so distantly related to us that still have those kind of moralistic traits that we can assume then that that kind of morality, those kind of moralistic traits evolved independently of us. You know, things like those kind of traits in ants, you know, ants being social creatures working together and understanding when one ant is like stepping out of line and doing things that are harmful. So I, I could just say that I am the descendant of people who cooperated with one another, and that's why um that's why that's why I, I don't need a god for that. Yep. Yeah. So that that will perfectly explain where morality came from, and it makes perfect sense too. And it also explains why like other animals have certain levels of morality. The Bible doesn't explain that. First, as, as a challenge for the, for the non-believer. Then the challenge for the believer comes down to this thing that Jordan's also already dealt in, which is the issue of, let's say, myth or story. Because we might agree, for instance, that we need 
a, a story to agree upon or a myth to agree upon or a, a, a set of ideas to, re, to, to rely upon and to ground ourselves in. And that doesn't necessarily, of course, by any means lead to the, to, to the fact that those things are also true. We get into the realm of what uh, Schopenhauer and the dialogue on religion, which always made a huge impression on me, deals in, where he says, of course, he, what he describes as the tragedy of the clergy. The tragedy of the clergy is that they know the necessity of the thing, they know the truthfulness of the story in a certain sense of truthfulness, but could never admit, or their job would be over, that that's what it is. In other words, they have to continue to deal in it as if this is not simply story or unifying myth or anything like that, but is something which has a truth claim behind it. And then let me just say one other thing on that, which is this the issue of unifying ethic, because it, it must be what we're sort of somehow also, among other things, as well as trying to define what the true is and what the real is, must be one of the things that we must sort of try to grapple towards. The, 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 the issue on this seems to me to be, is, is the Christian ethic, the Christian tradition, to think of it in Hegelian terms, is, is, is it an exhausted force or an unexhausted force? Uh, this, this for our age seems to me to be uh, one of the absolutely crucial issues to address. Uh, is it exhausted or unexhausted? I'm exhausted. What does that even mean? So I think, <clears throat> I guess he's probably saying like, has it, has it like reached the end of its usefulness? If I had to guess what he was saying. But the answer is fucking maybe for some people, yeah, and maybe for some people, no, because there's a lot of fucking people and people live their lives in a lot of different ways and there's a lot of good people and a lot of bad people. And those people don't all live the same way and believe the same thing. So this is all like, fuck, this is all bullshit. There's like no one ethic. There's not one thing that people are going to unify around. There are many things that people unify around that are <clears throat> sometimes in agreement with each other or simpatico with, with other people's like agreed frameworks and sometimes they're in conflict with one another and that's why we have something called politics that's why people vote and elect representatives and then those representatives debate issues and set policy this isn't like this isn't some fucking like magical thing that they've come up with here right he didn't just come up with <clears throat> like they're trying to answer a question that that's already been answered to the best of our ability is that we got to try to work together. And the best way to do that, I guess, is through consensus where we can get it. And sometimes, unfortunately, people have used the government to step on other people and fucking started world wars and shit because they couldn't get consensus about this or that. And that's the fucking the world. And it's messy. Yep. I wonder what Jordan's uh, writing down. Yeah, I, I do feel like a lot of times they just try and simplify the world to to such a degree that it it really wouldn't make sense. All right. I I have a few things to say. First about the idea on, of the the ethic question. Now the, I just want to see him like put his actually, put his hand on Jordan's leg. Project, there's something just give a little squeeze about ethics <laughs> and about how we should act. It has to do with the glass, sorry Douglas, but it, well, let's bring it to people now. It has to do with why do we think people are the same? How do we recognize ourselves as being the West or being England or America? Like there, these things, that's first, 
that's the question. That is, how, what is it that we have in common, that we celebrate in common, that we recognize in common? Um, a, a location, if it's like England. <laughs> Just look, are we in England? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you're like, like, well, let me, let me check. Yep, in England right now. Are we in California? <laughs> yep, yep, that's what the GPS says. <laughs> that's what we have yeah. in common. Like, what the fuck is like, Come on, man. Um, in terms of like culturally, maybe that's a much harder question, but yeah, you know, if you're, if you're just talking about what do all Americans share in common, maybe not all, but most Americans they're in America currently <laughs> us together. And my contention is that one of the things that happened is during the enlightenment is that people thought we can get rid of God, but we can keep our nation or whatever. But then that was a slippery, slippery slope. And as soon as we got rid of the transcendent, the thing we, we wanted to have, the king, the queen, the president, the, this, this narrative, which was at a lower level, started to crumble and to break down. And so it has, it has, it's not just about how we should act, but it's even how we recognize each other as belonging to the same category. Yeah, but let me... Let me let, well, hold on. Yeah, the thing like, he's, we, hold on, hold on. No, the thing war. he's saying right there that's important is... He's basically blaming like the de the decline of the monarchy post the decline of these monarchies post the enlightenment. He's blaming it on people stopping believing in God. And he seems to be framing it as though as it's a bad thing. But I would suggest that it's way more likely that as, if during the enlightenment, people were like, well, why are we worshiping this weird church? Somebody would be like, yeah. And why are we worshiping the king? <laughs> it's like the <laughs> same question. And so I think that. I think that he, again, he, he's, he, he's either stupid or he's just, he knows exactly what the fuck's going on and he's just trying to appear smart. Yeah. But like we fought a civil war over like disagreements about what America should be quote unquote. Like, yeah, we fought a civil war over slavery and he's, I guess like based on what he's saying, you know, he doesn't want to erode society or whatever. Would he be on the side of keeping slavery? I don't know. He didn't mention that time period. He mentioned the time period of the Enlightenment, which was about, you know, not the same time period. I can only go with I can only go with what he was talking about. He didn't he didn't like to follow the monarchies, though. That I can tell you that because he was talking about he threw president in there. There ain't no presidents Europe, like during the Enlightenment. All monarchies. And they all fell. And he's like, oh, you want, you want to keep these societal things together? Well, maybe no, they didn't. <laughs> I mean, all those places aren't, aren't monarchies anymore. But let me leap in there with something else. I, I, I would go a level beneath that, which is, which is something which I think we could agree on, which the Enlightenment thinkers were, were, were dealing in, and the religious are dealing, which is, is, a, is a much more important issue than mere issues of nationhood or belonging, which is, are we beings with value? Yeah, now, that's for sure. They're very important. That that of course historically uh, is 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 not the case. Uh, most empires in history in, in the ancient world and much more saw saw most people as having no value. One of the revelations, obviously, I use the term in a certain degree of quotation mark, but one of the revelations of the Christian tradition is the idea that everybody does have intrinsic value. And we've all grown up and everyone after, everyone during the Enlightenment is dealing in those terms. They're trying to extend, if anything, um, the idea of Christian value. And there are some Christian... Hard disagree that that is a Christian value. Have you read your Bible? 
That is not a Christian value. Again, most people identify as their Christian is a political identity, not a not a religious belief. It's a it's a cultural signifier. It's a it's yeah, it's an identity, not like a belief in the Bible. When we're talking about Christianity, I just don't I don't I literally don't care if people have read the Bible. If somebody tells me they're a Christian, I just believe them. Sure, but it was Christians who were arguing from passages in the Bible to keep slavery. And slavery is about as antithetical as you could get to the idea that all people are equal. Okay, they weren't talking about slavery. I mean, Douglas Murray would surely like to bring it back, but they weren't talking about it. I mean, he is talking about older governments not valuing everyone as having like intrinsic value. But like, what is slavery then other than exactly that seeing human life as worthless very idea of where we are now is in a sense an embodiment of the christian tradition which is in the tradition of human rights law and much more that we accept it like fish accept water that people have value but that of course as we know we can look around the world today to other places and other parts of the world and we realize that there are still parts of the world where where people do not have any value and their lives are regarded as valueless and that and that isn't even regarded as being a the tragedy in the way that we would regard it so so the idea that that, that we're beings with value is something that has been so deeply built into our our, our sense as a society they don't even realize that this is what we're swimming in now obviously that comes from the from from the Christian tradition. It comes from the idea that we're... Wait a minute, why is that obvious that it comes from the Christian tradition? Again, I'm just because the descendant... Because so. I'm like the just descendant of people who thought they had value and didn't fucking take their own lives. Like, what are you talking about? Like... Like... Uh, statements without evidence. Uh, statements that are very obviously not true. Because, like, if that came from Christianity, then... Why were holy Christian nations not that way? Like just just a few hundred years ago, there were holy Christian nations, like nations that were uh, that were officially Christian, that there were classes of people who had no value in that society. Yeah, this is this is all dumb. This is all dumb. I would, you know, my my suggestion would be that as the world becomes more secular, human rights have seemed to increase around the world. Yep. And as, as, as societies become more secular, bigotry becomes, tends to get removed from the law. Yeah. It's like very, very much the exact opposite of what he is saying. Created in the image of God. Being be, exactly the, 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 the image of God and then. And and then the enlightenment the rationalist project, obviously, to some extent, extends or, or tries to embed and deepen aspects of that, including, of course, I mean, uh, the, the idea of religious toleration. Because, again, I mean, one of the reasons why Europe stopped believing was not just what I laid out as having happened in the 19th century, but the but the. The, perhaps the worst, the worst realization of all, which was the repeated realization that peoples of faith could not exist together. I mean, this this is what but they can in the 16th century, and it it takes it, it goes awfully deep that realization and changes everything. 
part of the striving towards monotheism, let's say, if you think about that psychologically, I would say the striving towards monotheism is a descriptive enterprise to some degree because it's an attempt to characterize the nature of the spirit that should be put at the highest place in the hierarchy of perception and action. And then that begs the question is what should be put in the highest place? And so let me walk through something and you guys tell me what you think about this. So I used to ask my students, you know, why are you writing this essay? And so, and that's a variation of the question, why do anything? But let's make it concrete. Well, if they're your students, why? you probably said you have to write an essay. Why are you writing this essay? Well, so that I can get a good Unless he means like, why are you writing this essay? But then that's weird too. <laughs> why are you taking the class so that I can finish my year at university? Why are you finishing your year at university and motivated to do that? To get my degree. Why do you want the degree? Well, then it gets fuzzier. Well, maybe I want a job or maybe I want, an educated per want to be an educated person or some amalgam of those. Why do you think it's a good reason to be an educated person or to have a productive career? Well, because I want to be a good person. Well, why do you want to be a good person? Well, because that's part of acting out, and this is where it starts to delve into the mythological, because being a good person makes society work properly and is the best route to, say, life more abundant. And so what does it mean to be a good person? And then it means something like, well... God, what a fucking annoying professor. You're, you're like, you're wasting my time. I'm supposed to be writing this thing you told me to write. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, this is like a child who keeps asking why. But why? yeah but he he's trying to give the answers and they're just wrong well it's like like the like a kid's like you're like can i have some ice cream and you're like no and the kid's like why and you're like well we ate it all last night and the kid's like why and you're like well because it was good and we ate it all last night but why that's what he's doing he's just but whying a student of his <laughs> yep how annoying self towards the highest good and to speak the truth and I then, mean, if you were my professor, I'd want my money value back. That is definitely governing either in an integrated manner or a disintegrated manner the actions of the person who's writing the essay. And you might say, well, how hard are you going to try when you write this essay? And the answer to that would be, well, it depends on how well integrated my view of the ethic is all the way up to the highest place. And then we could say, well, the highest place is the divine place. And we could make that a matter of definition. And so then we might say, well, what should be in the divine uh, I'm sorry, place? what? But they just have to write a thousand words on a topic to get a grade, Jordan. Calm down. The highest, the highest place is the divine place. And we can just make that a matter of definition. Okay, so you've just def defined heaven into existence? Sure. But that's, I mean, this is, why else would you write the paper? Like, can you just say, like, the definition of this word is, like, it's the thing that I want to exist, and therefore it must exist? Listen, he's explaining to you why someone would write an essay. If you don't understand, then I, <laughs> I can't fucking help you. <laughs> and I would say, well, it has to be something that you can look at the world through, and it has to be something you act out. And then we could say, well, that still leaves residual mystery. And then we might ask, well, how do we characterize it? And I would say we characterize that using fiction because fiction is the abstraction of 
hierarchies of attentional prioritization and action. And so we could say that in the highest sense, in the biblical corpus, God is the ultimate fictional character. And, and here's, and then we're trying I'm really to glad this guy isn't teaching kids anymore. Which should be emulated. He, his only student is Jonathan Pagjo. That unites us psychologically and socially. And so I'll walk through like five representations. So what should be in the highest place? Okay. The spirit that allows you to walk unselfconsciously in the garden. What? The spirit that calls you to. What? The, does he mean like. If you can go out in your backyard naked. <laughs> I mean, I, I think he's talking about the Garden of Eden. I don't fucking know, man. This is this is weird. Uh, you know what? Fucking demon guy is not the weirdest person in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's that's striking <laughs> to the appropriate dedicated sacrifice. So that's from the Cain and Abel story. The spirit that calls you to batten down the hatches if you're wise when the floods are coming. The spirit that warns you against producing totalitarian spirits of uh, uh, Oh no, now he's getting into Jonathan Peugeot's realm. Totalitarian spirits sounds like a demon to me. How about the spirit that murders you because you're a baby and, you know, it was the time for murder. Babble. The spirit that calls you to out of your father's tent, that's Abraham, to the adventure of your life. The spirit that calls you out of the tyranny of Egypt or any tyranny into the desert and then guides you through the desert. On a horse with no name. I'll skip the rest of the Old Testament for the sake of brevity. And <laughs> Oh no, please talk about the time God killed everyone. That which is in the highest place that's revolutionary please. that emerged. You just skip the whole rest of the Old Testament though, just to keep it brief. Just be grateful. Thank him for that. The spirit that makes you voluntarily willing to bear the I mean there was the time that God killed like two cities worth of people and then there was the time that God killed all the firstborns and then there was the time that God just killed fucking everyone malevolence and then that character that's at the top of the hierarchy of attention and action that's characterized as God you can say well is that a fiction it's a fiction but you have to retool your notion of fiction because fiction then becomes the deepest form of ethical abstraction. And so it's a meta truth rather than a falsehood. And then if John is right, and I think he is. Uh, so he's John saying God is fictitious, yet it's a meta truth instead of a falsehood. Got it. Perfectly clear. So we have to cut the podcast somewhere and I just don't know if there's, I don't know if there's even a good spot to do it. So we're going to have to do it here, but don't worry everybody for listening to the podcast of this. I think this is going to be another week where we keep going into the post game and put out a bonus sometime like Saturday or Sunday for you, because this is just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And I feel like I cannot keep watching this without like a, um, it's like a, it's like a comfort cocktail. You know what? I think I will also have a, a real cocktail this time with a comfort, real alcohol. A comfort cocktail. All right. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll read this one out. Everybody, I'm sorry this has been the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We unfortunately do this show on Twitch every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Pacific till about <laughs> 8. Okay, I'm lying. 8.30. We definitely cut it off at 8.30 Pacific. Um, you can support the project at patreon.com slash echoplex. Or you can just go to our website to find out more information about us. This is Boomers by Periscope. And when I come back, my lights are going to be a different color and my drink is going to have different contents in it. And um, 
Unfortunately, the uh, thing on the screen will be exactly the same, but maybe we'll be able to uh, cope with it better <laughs> when I change the metaphorical substrate of my own sobriety.
Sunday, 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 right here on twitch.tv slash Media. It's the Plex, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific and on into red light. We have the worst news in the week that no one else will cover. The Plex has it all. Conspiracy, right-wing nut jobs, Christian extremism, and Madison Star Moon. Tune in every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash Media and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.